Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, the podcast that looks at all things nature, climate change, sustainability and environment and asks, is there anything that you and I can do to help try and save the planet just a little bit? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd and this week we are donning our green jerseys, <laughs> our helmets, our uh, flippers, our speedos. Hang on, what's, um, <laughs> what sport are we doing that needs helmets and flippers? All of them. We've, we've got no time. We've got no time to change. It's the uh, modern decathlon. <laughs> we are having a look at the environmental impact of sports. Yes, we are. Um, a nice broad topic that actually we won't be doing uh, as many sports as I just listed. If you could guess the sport I was referring to, because I can't. Like a particularly aggressive form of like water polo, perhaps? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but before we dive in, let's um, kick things off with a bout of uh, climate environment optimism yes and uh, refer to our feature what one good thing have you done this week so emma do you want to go first absolutely sure so my one good thing for the week is that i uh, as listeners may remember two parts of this anecdote one i have an allotment which i'm incredibly excited about and two i've been renovating a very old house for a very long time and i have a massive pile of um things that should probably have gone to the tip from the house renovations, but just in the courtyard outside, we just haven't done all the tip runs yet. But I also, with the allotment, now need building materials to make raised beds. So can you mm. see where I'm going with this? This week, I used all of the strength available in my very spindly upper arms and have <laughs> carried all of the bricks <laughs> that used to be a oh <laughs> that used to form a wall between my tiny kitchen and tiny dining room, which we knocked down. And I've taken them all to the allotment, wheelbarrowed them into place, and I've made um, raised beds out of these bricks. And I just absolutely love the fact that my kitchen wall is having a second life in the allotment. That's fantastic. That's such a good little <laughs> little feature of the house. That's really nice. Well done. Thanks very much. Well, what about you? What have you done? Um, nothing as cool as that, but kind of on a similar theme. So we have been clearing out a lot of stuff, a lot of furniture that we don't need anymore. Um, as our sort of house update comes to a exhausting end. And it's, it's almost like a PSA as well, my one, because uh, people will always take the stuff you don't want, always. Mm. doesn't matter what it was. So basically my one good thing is that we have listed a lot of stuff for free on Marketplace recently. And people will, will <laughs> Link always in the description if you want Lloyd's stuff. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> my old stuff. Marketplace is a fantastic space for giving away things. It's so good. Uh, the best example is that we had a an offcut of a kitchen unit. Um, we just needed to get rid of it. And we thought, well, rather we take down the tip and put it in the wood recycling. Does anyone want it on the off chance? And within about five minutes, yes, someone had been around to take it. Wow. This, the same thing for literally two dining chairs. Not even a full set of dining chairs. Someone wanted two dining chairs. Great. Have them. Yeah, and the, the flip side being, I've actually furnished a lot of my house by being the other side of that and being the one that's like, I will take your dining chairs. Thank you. Oh, but I mean, if anyone's <laughs> been following the podcast for a little while, you'll know that Emma is the queen of this. Literally incredible <laughs> kitchen, thank which you, you wouldn't realise is furnished with used stuff. Thank, thank you very much. But moving on, we've got quite a few, as ever, listener one good things. We do. Um, let's start off with Tom. Similar theme as yours, Emma. Tom started an allotment and set aside a bed for wildflowers. Yes, Fantastic. Tom. And yes, Pollinator the allotment friendly, content. Aesthetic friendly. <laughs> beautiful. Big fan. Hannah, um, she reused, this one's very niche, she reused her lateral flow test plastic bags. You know, when, okay. yeah, you know, they always get like the little like Ziploc kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah. So you know how like every household in the UK probably has like bags and bags of these in some dusty yeah, corner yeah. of my bathroom. Yeah. Anyway, she started using them as the toothbrush covers when she travels. <laughs> yeah. Fair I enough. went away with Hannah the other weekend. She genuinely does this and it actually works very well. <laughs> Genius. That never even occurred to me. Well done. Um, Richard uh, repurposed landscape materials around the yard. So again, everyone's out in their gardens mm. and being, you know. Me and a little Richard bit savvy the with their outdoor spaces. Wagon. Yeah, very nice. Jill and Gary, big shout out to my parents here. I think I actually probably already gave them a shout out. I thought out. I recognised those names <laughs> when you said Jill. Yeah, I was like, hold on a second. This week, their solar panels got installed on their roof. And so my dad replied to the yeah, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, so actually, yeah. both my parents did. Uh, and they're reducing their dependence on gas and grid electricity. And my mum's frantically using the uh, the tumble dryer because now it's uh, <laughs> now she can have soft sheets and soft towels without having to worry about the planet. So Amazing. good on that. I'm so pleased for them. Big up the Bristians. Yeah, good stuff. 
Andy uh, took part in the big plastic count for Greenpeace. And apparently it says here, found it shocking. Yes, lovely bit of citizen science. Pagan uh, started using ocean saver cleaning products. So uh, no bad chemicals for the ocean. Plastic-free dissolvable tablets that pop in your water and your spray bottles. Yes. Excellent. I think well we've done. given them a good shout out a couple of times before, haven't we? I do like a bit yeah, of we have. saver. Um, finally, Freya has been buying clothes from charity shops and says that she had fun looking through odd finds. So she didn't elaborate any further on that, but I look forward to hopefully finding out what odd things she found. In I was going to say, I'm, I'm assuming next episode <laughs> we'll get a picture of these odd finds. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favourite things to do on a Saturday, just have a pop, pop in the charity shop to see what's up. Um, but listen, we, we need to get back on track and talk about issues uh, with uh, sports and sporting events and personal sporting ventures because we do this every week. We get very excited about what our listeners have done and then you and I have our little catch up uh, and then it takes us like 10, 15 minutes to get to the hard episode content and the useful yeah. stuff. So well done, listeners. You're all fantastic. We absolutely love you. But we're going to talk about sports now. Yes, we are. Sports, of course. Uh <laughs> were you going to explain what a sport was <laughs> so sports are a kind of organized activity uh, in which <laughs> one one gets so, exercise <laughs> yeah a thousand one different sports permeate a lot of areas of our life hugely influential the world over you'd be hard pressed to go anywhere in the world and not find a sport that someone is mad about commercial sports apparently contributes 0.8 percent of the world's carbon emissions gosh which is very interesting. So that puts it on a similar footing to countries like Poland, Thailand, or Spain. And, you know, you would quite happily um, scrutinise the emissions of Poland or Thailand or Spain, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you? So why not collectively look at sports? Mm -hmm. So that 0.8% maybe doesn't sound like much because that's going to comprise of uh, transport, uh, materials, all sorts of things. But it does have a huge influence over people all over the world, as we said. So if you can start to clean up sport, that's a great foothold into people's lives generally. But even apart from that, 0.8% is still big enough to warrant a real close look at. Yeah, we can still definitely care about that. I think that ties very nicely into a brief news segment um, this week. So in the same way that sports have an amazing ability to talk to very widespread communities, potentially those of which who aren't already interested in sustainability or climate change or carbon emissions love island not normally the banner for green things this week did something which i was actually very excited about and they've announced that instead of partnering with i think it's something like misguided and other appalling or pretty little thing i don't know some really bad fast fashion outlets uh which basically clothe all of the contestants every year and advertise heavily on this platform which um, speaks directly to a very kind of consumery engaged subset of uh, our community. Instead, they've gone, hey, do you know what? We're going to partner with eBay and we're going to try and do everything secondhand and pre-loved this year. And so suddenly you've got this brilliant, brilliant opportunity for a company who has a massive voice to talk to people that maybe otherwise wouldn't be thinking about doing things secondhand. So I think that's a similar thing with the sporting industry because they are, they do permeate so much into our lives, as you said. If we start to see uh, sponsors going greener, we start to see you know the teams that we revolve our lives around making efforts to be greener. If we start to see the places that we go to see the sports promoting things like sustainable travel or vegan food, that starts to permeate further into our lives. So there is a huge opportunity for kind of community ripple. Well done, because I, I saw that news story and I thought, oh, that'd be really interesting to discuss on the podcast, but maybe not this week because it's not really relevant. But you've managed to get that in <laughs> in a very in. seamless way. Um, or it might be seamless, so I just pointed it out. But well done. <laughs> what a um, <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. So we are seeing greater recognition for within the sporting industry itself, um, whether that's token um, acknowledgement or genuine commitment to action mm. so sports england for example is uh, committing to sustainability in sport uh, they acknowledge that more needs to be done whether that's um, in major events whether that's travel practices to and from venues whether that's using recyclable materials and more energy efficient facilities there's a great collective now in the uk at least uh, there's a british association for sustainable sports so they've got bbc sport itv sport the yachting association uh, rugby unions, golf, Wembley Stadium, Premier League clubs, all sorts have come together as a sort of uh, body working together and uh, supporting each other, training each other. Mm. And I think importantly, 
within their commitments in basis, they've noted they've got commitments to tackling inequalities in becoming more environmentally sustainable, which I think leads nicely to, the, mm. to what we're talking about, where sport is such a integral part, central part to so many people's lives that it really does stretch out into uh, inequalities in communities. Mm. It comes into um, healthy eating habits. It comes into healthy travel habits. It, it can really um, spread nicely uh, into all facets of our lives. So where do you want to start? Do you want to pick apart sports one by one or do you want to? <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. So so we listeners for a little bit of background uh, information, pre-podcast kind of thought, well, how on earth do we structure this episode? Because just going, let's talk about sports is immensely daunting and very vague. So we've kind of split it up, haven't we? We've got sporting events and mm-hmm. then we've got kind of personal interaction with sports. So if we start with sporting events, you have um, told me that you've got some research on specific sports. So maybe let's yeah. let's tear down some of the stereotypes. Can we can we kick off with football? Because I feel like when we talk about big sporting events, that's those that's one of the sports that has a a reputation of being absolutely massive and particularly yeah. in big competitions includes like mass movement of people. Yes, yeah, so um, I'll kick off straight away by saying that the energy company Selectra um, says that the sport of football contributes to somewhere between 0.3 and 0.4% of the planet's global emissions, which is roughly the same as Denmark. Wow. So a big stadium, something like Wembley or Trafford, would uh, consume around 10,000 million watt-hours of electricity per year. But to make that a bit more manageable, if you were to look at a 90-minute match, that's around 25,000 kilowatt-hours during a 90-minute match. So that 90-minute match could power a dozen homes for a year. Wow. Okay. I was waiting for it to be put in context, but that is quite the context. So when you think every time a stadium is lit up um, in its full capacity, you could probably be powering like a village for for the entire time it's it's running. Wow. A caveat to that, of course, is that many stadiums aren't in full use throughout the whole year. No. Um, A lot of them will just scale down to offices and stuff for the rest of the week, but still very significant for that time it's running. And quite eye-openingly, lighting would account for about 40% of energy used during a football match. Right. And then I think broadcast and everything else is probably another 20% on top of that. So lighting alone, great area to improve. LED lights. Do it in the daytime. Know, some of like that. <laughs> yeah, but, all use LED lights. Yeah. Um, but, but also, that I think that represents a real opportunity here, is if we switch all of our big sporting stadiums over to renewable energy, that could be a very quick... I, again, I say this like I know how to actually do it. I don't know whether that would actually be what would work, but yeah, well, it feels as though that would be a very quick win. Yes, so it would for sure help. I mean, I think a great case study is Forest Green Rovers mm-hmm. uh, in, in Gloucestershire. They got taken over by someone who actually runs a sustainable energy company anyway uh, a few years ago. Oh, is that um, the eco trap? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, Ever since then, they have made headlines because they serve vegan food to players um, and their staff and their fans. They became um, a carbon neutral football club. They collect rainwater and reuse it. Their pitch is cut by solar powered robots. Oh, hello. They've got electric vehicle charging points. Most of their first team players travel to the games in electric cars. They've got a park and ride scheme. They've got a, they're planning a new stadium to be entirely from wood. And their stadium is powered by renewable energy oh tick 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 tick. can we please use this as a case study and roll this out where possible everywhere but this is the thing yeah so their chairman wants it to be used as a case study to inspire other clubs to do the same and Mm. apparently they have had inquiries from other football clubs who want to do similar things i mean it was interesting what you're saying actually he said that the fans were the hardest people to to convince with this push really uh to be green not just in name but in practice and he said apparently the biggest sticking point was vegan food served at matches into players because <laughs> okay. food he said is such an emotive thing yeah. to people um that they weren't convinced about the change but in, in the couple of years since it's become a point of pride for most fans <gasps> Fantastic. so what, what what a pr win what yes. a great as we said source of change for a community as well and really interesting case study there for how to inspire change yeah definitely and I'm, I'm glad examples like this exist because at the moment or this is, i mean this is very much coming from someone who doesn't really care much about sports or go to many big sporting events but at the moment from a very outside perspective it feels as though the token i'm going to do better for the planet 
thing that large events, uh, in, you know, not just limited to sport events, does is, oh, dispose like reusable cups at stadiums. Yay, yeah. let's all return our cups and we'll use less plastic. Like, that's so greenwashy in the grand scheme of things that could be done with the amount of money in the industry. Yeah. Um, I think it's fantastic that these other clubs like Forest Green Rovers have gone, do you know what? If you put your minds to it, you can make amazing change and it actually works. And now that the fans are, are proud of that and excited by those changes, I really hope we see a rollout of that. Yeah, so do I. I mean, it's clear that there is change being made, but I, I think it's important to say that, as you said, there's so much money in, mm. in football. It reasonably things should be happening a 25 lot 25 billion euros in Europe alone, apparently the football industry is worth. Insane, insane. And actually, it seems like a lot of change comes from the bottom up. So then after Russia World Cup 2018, we then had Euro, well, it was Euro 2020, but it was delayed, wasn't it? So it was, ended up being in 2021. But that tournament, because it was the 60th anniversary of uh, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 they decided to spread out the tournament across the whole of Europe, which I know was just sort of a one-off for a special occasion. But what do you think that did to the imprint of the Euros? And added mm. to that, all the World Cup formats now are going to have increased numbers of national teams playing because FIFA are greedy and decide mm. they want as much going on as possible. So they've rammed in even more teams into the tournament. So even greater footprint from teams and fans traveling around and it just gets absolutely mental I mean, which oh, right yeah which is why i said it seems to be that it's all happening from the club level despite um goals stated by for example fifa and uefa well yeah i mean and speaking of their goals um i think fifa said that they were going to or had offset 1.1 million tons worth of carbon emissions from yeah. the 2014 world cup in brazil but but essentially this is another wonderful opportunity for greenwashing yeah. It is so easy to say, oh, don't worry, we planted some trees, which will A, not sequester any of that carbon, anywhere near the amount of carbon for the next like, 100 years or so. And B, who's checking? Is anyone checking? Is anyone actually regulating this? Because they could tweet whatever they want, really. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a bit of a get out of jail free card, isn't it? Because then the simple answer is, well, try not to produce that in the first place. The thing is, clubs need to think about um, sustainability, not just to keep everyone else happy or because they, they should, but because it will directly impact them. So Football for Future, who are sort of a campaign group uh, about football, funny enough, they have been warning that a quarter of professional clubs in England alone um, will probably be flooded on a regular basis by 2050. Um, oh, wow. And when you look at grassroots pitches, so, you know, non-league and... Um, kids and sort of local community pitches. Uh, your average not a very specific type of lawn maintenance. No, exactly. Your average grassroots <laughs> pitch in England uh, already loses around five weeks season to bad weather, which rings true. Really? I remember growing up, like pitches would be waterlogged and things, and that's just going to get worse mm. with uh, different weather patterns. If you support a Premier League football team, you can actually check up something called the Green League, which is a sustainability Ooh. index created by the BBC and the UN. It's quite interesting. Liverpool and Tottenham come out on top. Um, what metrics are they using? All sorts. So it's um, how they power their stadiums, how they're getting to games, whether they're involved in the community, that sort of thing. That's awesome. So, for example, I didn't know Tottenham travel to matches on coaches powered by biofuel. Nice. Arsenal offer fans a special tariff with a renewable energy supplier. That's cool. I will happily pretend to be an Arsenal fan to get a reduced rate on a renewable energy supplier. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, Brighton provide plastic-free sanitary products to fans and staff. Everyone um, should do that. Quite a few, yeah, quite a few little initiatives, and it's just a case of, I guess, following the likes of Forest Green Rovers that look at this holistically and how they can improve mm. everything about their operation. So good, good start but then there are also horror stories you see like Manchester United flying to a domestic game which would have taken them an hour so they're in the air for about 10 minutes you get stories like that that keep propping up because they oh traffic, blah 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 so there's still a long way that, to that kind of behavior makes me tap into what I imagine the football yob mentality within me might be hearing that someone has flown domestically to a to a football game just to avoid a bit of traffic um that makes me so angry. It's dumb, isn't it? Like what? one decision like that can cancel out a lot of good work in the whole year. So completely again, undermining. Yeah, the whole whole management structure 
and fans and players and staff. But I, need to I be think on board. I did read a piece as well recently about fans doing that to get to games as well to prove a point because the rail networks in this country are so incredibly expensive. Um, and somebody flew via Amsterdam to get to I can't remember where, and I remember just thinking, good, like, everything is broken. Yeah, <laughs> everything, everything is, broken. is broken. Nothing. Absolutely works. mad. That's the end of the podcast. We're all See done. But we can't afford to be good. Bye. 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 <laughs> See you next week. No, come on. Let's let's pass the ball away from football. You've got other sports uh, to tell me about. Yeah. Um. Well, we, we were talking about running before we started recording, weren't we? Do you want to? You had some stuff on sustainable runwear, was it? I've got a few. I've got a few bits. So I, ex- you know, exercise isn't a massive part of my life. <laughs> if I'm very honest. Uh, but when I when I do choose to exercise beyond like gardening and hiking and kayaking, uh, it's 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 always running. And I think you can look at running through two two lenses. And the first one we're going to look at is the big sporting event version of running, um, because we can also talk about things like you know marathons or like a lot of people are trained to do their five k, ten k, half marathons, that kind of thing. And this is actually the inspiration for the entire this entire episode. Is my friend Hannah ran her first half marathon and her first marathon last year, like massive well done's. But one of the things she said was, oh my word, going to those kind of events makes you realize Mm -hmm. just how much waste is generated by that event. Like obviously the atmosphere is amazing. It's wonderful to get people moving to doing something that's fantastic for their mental and their physical well-being. But when you've got plastic bottles or plastic cups of water at stands, when you're being given race t-shirts when you arrive or you pick up a race t-shirt at the end or you pick up a medal at the end, there is just so much junk that goes on in the kind of marketing yeah. side of it all. So there are a lot of ways to For, make- for what is essentially the simplest thing of running from A to B. Yeah, totally, totally. So, you know, like if, just on the topic of those kind of race t-shirts, like sure, it's great to be able to be like, hey, I run the London Marathon or whatever and wear that t-shirt if you want. I completely understand that desire. But the simple act of race organizers sending you one if you opt in for one at your correct size rather than just sending everybody one when they sign up by default yeah yeah could be a huge way of reducing the amount of landfill clothes clothes that go into landfill so in the uk you know 300 tons of used clothing go into landfill every year and Mm. i don't know about you but i've got so many like t-shirts from various projects that just have like a random logo on which are basically just just pajamas or diy clothes because yeah, nobody's yeah, going to want them I in the charity shop. Want to yeah. Get them out. yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do with them? I've got one with a shark on it, and I'm like, this is too cool <gasps> not to wear. But other than that, they're all, yeah. That is cool, though. Sorry, I just had to get that in there. No, that's fine. <laughs> You've got much cooler, you know, freebie t shirts than me, but no worries. Um, so, and on, on the topic of plastic, and I know you've looked into marathons as well, the 2018 London Marathon, guess how many water bottles it got through? Is it 47,000? No, I, I got 920,000 water bottles. Oh my word, I don't know where my number came from. <laughs> Quite a few. And Westminster Council afterwards collected over 5,000 kilograms of rubbish and 3,500 kilograms of recycling just off of the streets. I, I think that's where my number came from, actually. That's a number I've got off Westminster Council, how many bottles they picked up ah, that year. Bonkers. So yeah, massive. Just from Just from one race. Fun fact, though. Thanks to uh, basically closing all of these roads, um, what, like 26 miles worth of roads, air pollution during London Marathon falls by an absolutely astounding 89%. Simply mad, by taking cars it? and buses and things off the road for one day. Crikey. It's mad, isn't it? So, But a lot of races around the UK um, have been having a look at ways to make these events better. Um, so, for example... Ashton 10K in Surrey has been lauded one of the greenest races because it gives out wooden medals, mm. uh, which also like double as like um, toasters for drinks. Uh, and they print their race numbers. I thought you said toasters. Oh, toasters. And I was like, that's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> they print all of their like race numbers with vegetable-based inks on recyclable paper because you know, oh, normally wow. they're like plastic kind of laminated. Yeah, and yeah. In case, I don't know, you run through the rain or something. Um, but also they also... Like they go so far as to source all of the prizes as well from like local places, like English sparkling wine that's been grow- grown in the county and that kind of stuff. And Bath Half Marathon, my uh, the one that I will maybe one day run, um, they tried particularly to address the issue of plastic bottles by putting refill points uh, like all across the race, so they, everyone was encouraged to bring Excellent. their own reusable bottle. And in the last couple of stages they provided compostable cups and um, they were reviewed quite well by runners. Most of them said, yes, they were good or very good. Hmm. So I think there is an appetite 
among sporting people to do things Absolutely, better. Yeah. If the infrastructure around them is better, I don't think there's a massive backlash and going to be like, well, give us back our plastic cups, you know. I think there are a lot, so, of, a lot of yeah. solutions out there. We just need the organisations that are running them to be mindful in that way. I, th- I think as well, because a, a lot of the runners will be from either that city or other cities that themselves have running events. And they will also be aware of waking up in the morning to find bottles and rubbish everywhere. So it's not just like runners just appear from nowhere with no like <laughs> self-reference points. They, they are also subject to the, to the waste themselves. So yeah, you're right. They, they will be invested. Yeah. Well, that's a, that you raise a good point though, in terms of like traveling to go to races, because something that appeared during COVID when we, you know, obviously couldn't all gather to run our big races and things was the idea of a virtual race. So you obviously you yeah. don't get so the not, same not, not like atmosphere. ready player one vr headset <laughs> no but um you, you could track yourself against everyone else that's the marathon up. distance on the same day yeah. yeah and so there's a similar similar feeling of connection with an online community but you can just run it around your local neighborhood in like a route that you already know and love or you can yeah. test yourself and do something new but that doesn't involve you and many many others traveling even if you travel on public transport or something it still involves much less getting from a to b so i thought that was a pretty interesting thing as a complete aside, the funniest running app I've ever seen was one that plays zombie sounds into your ears oh, no. to try and make you run faster. <laughs> so it's like you're running away from things. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but back to the like, London Marathon, it, you're right, there's still a long way to go. They are making steps. They are getting better. So they do initiatives like, uh, do you see that there were those um, capsules rather than plastic bottles? So like edible capsules yeah. that you could have. Which do you remember? Jelly-like. We spoke about these in one of our first ever episodes. Oh, we remember? did the plastics episode. Yeah, it yeah. really took me back. I still want to try one. They're basically made out of kind of like seaweed, effectively, aren't they? They're like a biodegradable yeah, yeah. pouch that you pop in your mouth and gives you like one mouthful of water. Yeah, if you can get hold of some sodium alginate, you can make one with uh, with some like Ribena and some other bits and bobs. Cool. A little tip while on the subject actually of bottles is I did it never really occurred to me, but I mean. Please don't just throw bottles away when you're doing a marathon anyway. Mm. But if you do, at least drink the water that's inside or empty the water because they're much less or much harder to be recycled if they've still got a liquid inside them. If you are going to litter, do so responsibly. If you are, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to litter, make it easy for the people to pick it up and recycle it after point. you. Listen, just get one of those sexy running belts, like a utility belt where you can have all your gel. Oh, that's the other thing as well. Gels, gels are really interesting because a lot of those kind of hydro... Um, kind of energy gels that come in sachets. The sachets are really hard to recycle as well, but I don't know if there's an answer for what you need to do if you're running 26 miles and you desperately need you could a bit just, of energy. I mean, it's a, maybe a bit old-fashioned, but take some jelly sugary beans? sweets with you, like little jelly, yeah, yeah, little jelly beans or little like very sugary bits and bobs you can stick in your mouth. Yeah. But, but the London Marathon were starting to, to offer belts for, i mean you can get running belts anyway can't you which fit a water bottle on but the london marathon was offering them through their website which did reduce bottle use by 40 percent for the people that used belts nice there's a lot of people who still took not reusable bottles for some reason but um on the flip side apparently those bottle belts were designed for their partner Buxton bottles and Lucasade bottles. Oh, commercialism. Um, surely want to be discouraging <laughs> the plastic bottle, like the, re- the non-reusable bottles altogether. Um, oh, down with capitalism. But hey. Classic. Classic. The steps of step, right? Yeah, sure. While on the subject of athletics, you kind of can't not talk about the biggest show of them all, the Olympics. Woohoo! Which again comes into the same sort of themes as the World Cup, really, in terms of uh, footprint is generally created by travel, etc. Tokyo last year did try and make a song and dance about being one of the greenest games, though, didn't it? I think Paris coming up. Yeah, they want to be the first net zero Olympics. Mm. And I think increasingly there's more noise in each Olympics about being more sustainable than the last. So like Tokyo did do some cool things. Like I think the medals were made from recycled electronics. Mm. The beds in the athletes' village were made from uh, recycled cardboard. The podiums were made from recycled plastic. Nice. And apparently 62% of the waste generated during the games in Tokyo was recycled. Okay. We would obviously still advocate for... More. <laughs> reuse or, you know, not being in a position of needing to recycle in the first yeah. place. But hey, recycling is still good. And it has certainly, as you said, increased tension for subsequent games. So like Paris, for example, is trying to one-up it again. Um and sustainability has sort of become one of the three pillars of the Olympics or something. 
Um, you should probably tell the Olympic Committee that, though, because a paper in 2020, prior to the Tokyo Olympics, to be fair, um, evaluated how sustainable the previous 16 Summer and Winter Olympic Games had been. And actually, it turns out that overall, the sustainability of the Games has decreased year on year up to 2020. Oh, wow. Again, I don't, I don't know how Tokyo necessarily fits into that, but it's decreased in general. Rio 2016, Sochi 2014 were the lowest. Okay. So this index takes into account things like uh, displacement of people to make way for infrastructure. Mm. So that was a big, massive thing in Rio, wasn't it? Whole favelas communities being pushed out essentially for yeah. one reason or another, yeah. whether that's to make room for the games or to try and clean up crime, etc. Index takes into account the construction costs, like how many new buildings mm. have to go up uh, rather than just reusing ones already existing. See, this is this is a really interesting point, isn't it? When we talk about these massive events where where the country, the host country, knows it's on the world stage and they know they've they've got an opportunity both to yeah. look good and also to, in many of their eyes, clean up an area um, or regenerate an area. Perhaps would be a better way of looking at it. Yeah, um, and. So a lot of the time, as you said, that some communities will be displaced because the Olympic Committee, or not the Olympic Committee, but whoever is creating this new Olympic park and all of these new facilities that need to be state-of-the-art, including athlete housing and all of those things, will come in, yeah. shuffle out an entire community and whatever dilapidated resources are there and replace them with brand spanking new ones. And if you go back to our episode on the fascinating subject that is concrete, uh, the world's favourite building material, you'll realise actually the costs mm-hmm. of construction in terms of energy and carbon footprint are absolutely bonkers. So although yeah, you know, it's very great to shout about, okay, well, maybe they're in some instances providing communities with fantastic new sporting facilities and opportunities and potentially new housing if kind of the athlete's village is able to be repurposed as actual housing afterwards. Yeah. That's great. But one of the other things to think about is what if you know if we're looking at the sustainability of these games is what materials and what production methods are being used to create these new facilities because if yeah. you're just chucking on in with the systems that we currently use if we're not employing new technologies then we're just absolutely bundling much more carbon into the atmosphere uh, that's a technical term bundling carbon into the atmosphere you'll see it in reports <laughs> in the most respectable of journals of course <laughs> so i mean there are so many other sports we could take a punt at i mean we haven't touched things like swimming i don't know what the impact of filling a load of swimming pools is or heating the pools for example Mm. um i mean here's a i mean here's a quick thing to posit uh we chuck things like chlorine in our swimming pools do we not what happens to that water afterwards because it kills things in the pool and then where does it go no idea Mm, that's a thing that's thing to investigate great question we're gonna have to do a sport two point episode or something Mm. Or, or I think we suggested before we recorded this that we start doing these sports and we'll stick mics on ourselves as we're doing them and chat about sustainability. Swimming might not work. <laughs> I'm not sure about swimming, but I'm 100% up for golf. Let's just go for a nice walk yeah, with, golf. A, <laughs> with some golf clubs and talk about the impacts of golf. I do like playing golf. Unfortunately, golf does have quite a big impact, doesn't exactly. it? Um, ecological impact from clearing massive, land, massive mm. land. Um Wrecking sand dunes, using pesticides. I haven't even really gone into golf at all in my research, but I, n- I know that in the US, it's like 2 billion gallons of water are used to water courses, mm. whilst people are having trouble accessing drinking water in that very country. Mm. Um, insane. Um, most sports is a really interesting one because of the logistics involved and also the cars themselves. Let's go for maybe the most prominent, biggest of all worldwide, yeah. F1, Formula One, to the, uh, the fans. Um, what percentage of the sports emissions do you think come from the cars uh very little i reckon because they're designed to be incredibly efficient aren't they not and then you've got the building of racetracks you've got everyone traveling to the games like i know my next door neighbor travels to singapore every year to to go and see that oh i know loves it big fan but um i don't know five percent uh 0.7 oh right okay 0.7 yeah so tiny tiny percentage so the, the the 20 cars that go around the track um, over a whole season, they will burn about 150,000 litres of fuel, which is what a Boeing 747 will use on a 10-hour flight. Gosh, okay. So it's a one, one Boeing 10-hour flight is equivalent to the 20 cars going around for the whole season. And that's um, just my neighbour going to Singapore. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So your neighbour <laughs> is responsible for as oh much emissions as those cars, which is pretty insane. But no, so the bit, as you suggested there, because you're obviously a bit of a motorhead, you know this stuff, <laughs> but the logistics and the travel 
account for about 70, 75% of the entire footprint of the sport because it's obviously global. So they pack up the cars, they pack up everything. Have you seen it before? They like load them onto these flash trailers and ship them across the world. So like their whole racing setup with all the screens and all the equipment goes into one big container Ah. essentially, gets shipped off and their office gets unloaded at another point in the world. Oh, okay. That's that's where the uh, the footprint is, as you, as you said. F1 does make a lot of commitments to being greener and being more sustainable. As you said, the cars themselves are very efficient. And you could argue that F1 is the testing bed for a lot of sustainable technology that filters down to our everyday cars. They're introducing rules such as uh, a certain percentage of the mix of their fuel has to be biofuel. Oh, okay. So... Um, they are sort of leading the way in, in biofuel use for high-performance vehicles. I, th- I think something like 10% at the moment, and then it's going to go up to 100% soon. Now, I was sceptical of this. I was like, oh, but biofuel, surely still burn it. But apparently, even the Green Party and other environmental organizations still admit that biofuel is an important stopgap for certain vehicles. Mm. And to be fair, long-term, we should be looking to go electric anyway. Um there so is um, case of there is a, a race or a kind of similar Formula alternative. E. Yes, yeah. there we go. There's Formula E, which is set up to be all electric. Mm. Uh, it was quite amusing. It was a bit of a spectacle in the first couple of seasons because the drivers had to get out of the car and go to a new car. Oh, to, whereas to now, get a new battery. I think in. it's come a lot. Yes, whereas now I think it's come along enough that the battery can be traded that they can replace the battery during a pit stop instead uh so it's, i tell you really what, that cool is my favorite with. thing about formula one watching the skill and precision of a pit stop the urgency at absolutely which absolutely insane isn't it? like absolutely 20 insane. men will change two tires like oh incredible i would like to see that with a battery mm. well with the tires is an interesting thing because obviously tire burn does produce lots of uh, very small particulates which yeah. itself is very damaging so swings and roundabouts i do think overall it's quite a negative sport um on the world stage i mean lewis hamilton the man himself pointed out that you know f1 is saying oh in 10 years time we'll be carbon neutral the amount of money flowing through the sport the amount of technology they deal with why can't it be now why why can't they just Mm. do it now and all the time they're adding more races to the calendar i think this year there's the same amount of races but that's only because kicked out russia for example so they're (laughs) looking to add more races every year to more and more countries spread out across the globe so it gets a bit more money insane this travel did you see the um uh after miami gp so this was the first year miami was on the circuit and i I saw online like a flight radar thing of all the flights coming in and out within 20 minutes of the gp finishing Mm. in miami there was like a hundred private jets that went out oh yeah i did see that actually that's so unsustainable for everyone to fly in their private jets enjoy like can't be on the track and then fly yeah. out again. Uh, it's it's a completely other world. I can't really connect with that idea of being a, a way of living. It feels so alien. It feels so other for that to be a thing. You just say, oh, I'll just hop in my private jet, and then I probably won't even watch the cars going around, but I'll just be seen there drinking champagne and wearing Ray Bans and whatever else I need to be seen doing, and then I'll just disappear yeah. afterwards. Uh, oh. But I think that's yeah, I, that's I, one I, of the problems with slightly elitist sports like that where it is yeah the thing i i, I do I, I used to really like f1 but i've really gone off it because of the how money orientated it is but uh but anyway they are making headway in other areas so during the pandemic they were kind of forced to reassess their um broadcasting strategy because i think just using the film equipment the it equipment uh broadcasting that's about 20% of their emissions overall for F1. Okay. And they managed to cut that down a lot by going remote. Um, oh. I can't remember the details, but they went to some like central location rather than bringing all the equipment with them, for example. Which, yeah, again, it's like things like that can help, but you just fundamentally need to reassess the need to ship a load of, well, insane amount of equipment to different parts of the world. Yeah. But anyway, swings and roundabouts. It's a really interesting sport to look at because, as you said, it's also like a test bed for sustainable technologies so like f1 cars have about 50 percent thermal efficiency and i'm not an engineer or physicist but that sounds very good apparently a few years ago they thought that was completely unachievable stuff like that can filter down so it's swings and roundabouts yeah smart people than me can can pass judgment 
I mean, that's our motto for most episodes, is it not? Smarter people than us will know more and probably say more intelligent things. If you're smarter than us, As... get in touch and we could probably give you a job on the podcast. <laughs> job? We are, we're not making any money. <laughs> this would be an un- unpaid position. internship position. Um, right, from something very out of reach, uh, as I feel mm-hmm. Formula One is, to something very within reach. Perhaps you are wearing a pair of them right now. Almost everybody wears trainers. And mm-hmm. not just for sport these days. They are just a lifestyle. Also, American cousins, sneakers. Yes, that's true. Actually, you know what? We do have a, a fair old contingent of American listeners. Yeah, we do. We're, so we're I am going to use the word trainers. We will do something US centric soon. Yeah, we should. We should. Lloyd, do you wear trainers every day? Are you a trainer guy? Uh, yes. I guess it depends where the line in trainers is, but yeah, most days. Yeah. Well, okay, speaking of of Americans, uh, a study at MIT recently found that one pair of running shoes can create 13.6 kilograms of carbon emissions. Now, this is actually incredibly high when compared to other types of clothing or shoe wear, footwear? Footwear is the word I'm looking for. Through through, through the manufacturer of... Manufacture of... Yeah, the bulk of that comes from the manufacturer and the materials processing. And because everybody wears... Well, because so many people wear trainers and a lot of people will you know, buy new ones every season because they're as much of a fashion item as they are a purpose item these days, we need to make our shoes better. And so this has mostly come because, as I said, it, it's the manufacturing process and it's also the, the materials used. And that's because nearly all trainers are pretty much 100% plastic or petroleum-based. You know, that's because it's cheap, mm. it's flexible, you can create air pockets within it to create bounciness, it's, you know, it's really durable. So they're Plastic does really allow us to create things designed for performance. So particularly if we're talking about running shoes, Mm. they are all designed with performance in mind and planet second, third, fourth or fifth in mind. Um, So one of the big questions that sporting trainer manufacturers are asking in the last couple of years is, can we make them, can we make this product more sustainable? Can we reduce the CO2 impact of our shoes? So in some cases, so some some brands like Nike and Adidas have played with things like using polyester from plastic bottles to create the yarn, so the knitted upper part of the of the shoe, um, or Mercedes, using yeah. yeah, or using uh, the, a similar thing from kind of ocean plastic, particularly from fishing nets. Yeah, wasn't there a vegan football boot made recently or something? Oh, I don't One know. Was launched by Nike, maybe. I don't know, but the interesting thing about you know vegan is obviously means there's no leather, but then that just means it's plastic version of leather. That's more often so true. Than not. So yeah, I suppose most of my trainers here are vegan because they're plastic. Plastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is an interesting thing. Um, but so one of the things that the industry kind of says actually is it's 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 not about just what you're making them from. It's about physically designing them with end of life in mind. Because you can make them out of recycled mm. plastic, but there's still not really that much good if they're just going to go in the bin and there's still not going to be any use afterwards. Sure, you're giving them a second yeah. life in some contexts, but that's not leaning in towards what will be more useful, which is the circular life cycle. There are a couple of brands that are looking at shoes which can almost be detached from, like all of the components of it can be pulled apart and all the materials can be easily separated enough okay. in order to use those for new shoes in the That's long run. It's cool. a very good idea. It is. It's very energy intensive though. And if not enough people are yes. using these kind of buyback or circular economy schemes, yeah. it becomes quite tricky. So there was there was one company that had like a, a sign up process where you paid like a monthly fee to be part of their system, um, which was like thirty dollars a month or something. And basically whenever you ran out or your whenever your running shoes wore out, you just sent them back and they just sent you a new pair for free, but not really free because you're paying thirty dollars a yeah. month. But actually that costs yeah. more in the long run than buying two new pairs of trainers a year. So these things need to evolve. It's okay. because we don't really have the, the market so for them yet. Barrier, yeah. yeah, there's still very much a, a barrier. And also, again, this kind of industry leans a lot into greenwashing. So I'm going to go back to Nike and Adidas here. Yes, they're doing good things, but they're also <laughs> saying things like, oh, our sustainability goals are that all of our owned US and Canada sites will be run on renewable energy, that kind of thing. But it's very clever the way that they word these things because A, a lot of them, they don't own their own factories because they'll be contracted out to elsewhere. And also a lot of them are not, the manufacturing right. doesn't take place in the US and Canada. So although it sounds great, it's actually not really percolating through their whole system. So there's... Percolating. Uh, I like it. A little flashback you. to our tea and coffee episode. I do like the word percolating. Mm. 
so so there's a lot there's a lot of things and i'm I'm not telling people they can't wear trainers but there are because <laughs> i'm going to continue to wear them but there are but there are options, options. out there to yeah. do something it's just no, no, no option currently is perfect yeah so um, and you should come with a cost but we yeah so either you know wear them to death and don't buy three new ones every year when the seasons changes um, if you have got life left in them, you don't like them anymore, they don't fit or whatever, you can also take them to charity shops uh, if they're still good enough quality. In the same way that we say with all of our clothes, you know, somebody might want something that you don't want anymore. There is a website called runnersneed.com and they have stores and Ooh. they basically have a recycle my run scheme, which is really useful. So if you could bring them your old shoes, you get a £20 voucher off your new pair. So it saves you a bit of money, but also ensures that your trainers That's are not great. going in landfill. And they can try and use them in their recycling process. What a fantastic initiative. I'm definitely going to be checking that one out. Yeah, well, I'll pop a link in the description. Uh, I forgot to mention this, but I'm actually running the Swansea Half Marathon in... Um, How has this only come up an hour into weeks. recording? Probably because I haven't done much training for it, so it's going to be really Good painful. luck and congratulations. So, <laughs> I hope you're wearing your lovely Thanks. running belt with your reusable bottle and your Allbirds, which are the brand I'm going to drop in as being the sustainable brand. Allbirds trainers are the ones for you. So they use things like wool It's interesting when it comes to trainers, though. Okay, I'll, I'll look those up. I mean, it's probably too late for me now, but um, it's it's interesting to talk about trainers. That there are definitely some brands that seem to last a bit longer. I've got a couple of slightly cheaper pairs that definitely wore down very fast on the soles, mm. and I've got a pair that I use now, which I've had for years, and are still going... Absolutely strong, but I was thinking though, we mentioned in F1, for example, like uh, tyre burn, mm. giving rise to particulates coming off it because friction on the ground, etc. I wonder if that how that relates to running shoes, because mm. like soles do wear down, don't they? If, if where's it going? That's a good point. Smart people, let us know. Listen, we have been talking for a very long time, so I think we just need to give the listeners a few more things that they can possibly do if they've if they've made it to the end of this episode yeah and then we can let them get on with their days i think what, what, what do you reckon support forest green rovers yes uh <laughs> check out all birds for their use of um very conscious materials uh, and recycling programs you can obviously run as need.com has the recycling program absolutely but beyond running clothing in general we haven't again we haven't really talked about this but a lot of the fast fashion principles that apply also apply to all of our sporting yes. clothing so have a look for things that are made out of bamboo or organic cotton or regenerative organic cotton, which is the best. I found out about a fibre called tensile, which is produced from wood pulp and has a lower carbon footprint even than cotton, which is great. Um, Patagonia are a great brand for using eco and environmental materials and they send 1% of all their sales to preserve and restore They are always a good place to start, yeah. And I found a brand called Pangea who have a top made from seaweed fibre and organic cotton, which I thought was quite interesting. And they're doing Love a lot it. of like funky sustainability engineering schemes which look quite interesting and do you yoga sometimes i've been known to to downward dog <laughs> on occasion lovely um yes my, myself <laughs> also i do enjoy a bit of a yoga sometimes um yoga mats are uh, another thing where you can green up your routine if you haven't already bought a yoga mat and you think hey mm. somewhat i might do that in the future there's a british brand yay called Eco Yoga, who make a plant-based and natural rubber yoga mat, which is not only machine washable, but biodegradable. Yeah, amazing. The idea that my yoga mat will outlive me makes me feel a bit sick. Cool. Gosh, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy, isn't it? We, we, we've got a yoga mat in the house that's made of cork, I think it is. That's cool. That's a regenerative resource when farmed properly from cork trees. Nice. And then my final thing that I googled, because I was feeling a little bit silly, was can you get a bike generator to power your home so that you can do exercise at home while also powering your house, particularly as our energy costs seem to be absolutely rocketing? And the answer is not really no. Yeah. But... but um, <laughs> I thought you were going like, to present with a holy you'd need You would need so many bikes to run your home. But there are um, some... So basically, if you're pedaling a bike at like a reasonable pace, it generates about 100 watts of power, which is about the same right. in real time using a 100-watt light bulb. So you could power a light bulb as long as you were cycling. But I don't know about you, but I can't cycle for okay. an entire day while also trying to work and keep the lights on. Yeah, so you've got to keep keep cycling not to be in the dark. <laughs> yeah, which is not overall okay. my aims of my workouts. But there's a company called Regen who are currently in their pre-order stages but they're creating these micro generating bikes but on a bigger scale for things like gyms so 
if you're mm. if you've got a bank of bikes and loads of people are doing their workout on an on electric bike that is generating which you do find in a normal gym and those bikes are all generating a little bit of power that power could go some way towards meeting some of the gym's mad energy costs yeah. which is very useful or it can charge a uh, like a battery pack which could allow you to charge your phone which is actually very useful so if you could put it into context for me yeah, to charge cool. my phone by cycling that would be great so one hour workout they said could charge 14 iphones amazing so that's that's <laughs> my that's my one slightly hopeful thing i think to end on i'm quite excited by the yeah, idea of, of that's really technology nice. helping out things like gyms because we haven't even talked about gyms but We'll add that for sport. No, point two exactly. and point three. Oh gosh, we could we could do so much more, couldn't we? If if you've got anything you'd like us to talk about in a follow up episode, then let us know. Maybe there's some obscure sport. Maybe ultimate frisbee is a particular um, seal killer. I don't know. <laughs> um, other than that, actions. Um, maybe getting if you if you support a particular club in whatever sport, maybe get in contact with them, see what they're doing at, on a in a green initiative, see if there's anything they can do better really try and push them because i know in the age of you know mega rich owners you feel you don't have a lot of power but fans do still have power especially away from the premier league into lower league clubs fans tend to own a bit more of the club or tend to have a bit more say give it a go or i just had a thought then maybe see what your local gym does what's their energy policy like have a look at how you travel to your sports events can you car share can you take the team coach to away games clean up after yourself if you're running especially but if you're going to any games or anywhere else clean up after yourself um it's also just good banners so as usual don't forget that you can get in touch with us you can get in touch with us on instagram mm. facebook and twitter just search for for what's earth podcast and you can drop us a lovely little email on for what it's earth pod at we gmail.com we do we genuinely do and uh while you're at it go and leave us a nice little five-star review uh makes a whole world of difference to our tiny little podcast outfit um, helps us find new people and help them do more green things so thanks very much for doing that excellent thank you very much everyone and of course anything we have said or opinions expressed within the confines of this digital earbook is entirely our own views and opinions um, no one else's just ours we'll see you very soon perhaps from a golf course lloyd or an f1 car yeah wow well if we can make that happen That'd be very exciting. But one of the electric ones. Let's get in touch with Formula E. Yes. All right. We'll see you all soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.